This is the Stop Time Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Hopkins, and I'm here to engage you in thought-provoking motivational conversations around practicing the art of living in the moment. I'm a certified life coach, and I'm excited to dig deep and offer insights into embracing who we are and where we are at. I hope you enjoy this next episode with my friend and colleague, Michael Alden, as much as I did. Although his resume reads like a who's who of the entertainment industry, I'm certain that you will enjoy the rare insights into his journey from inventory boy to vice president of post-production at MGM, and so much more. The episode was recorded on January 21st. Michael Alden is a Tony Award-nominated producer whose career spans live theater, cinema, and television. He has been represented on the West End with The King's Speech and Bat Boy the Musical, and on Broadway with the award-winning Come From Away, the Pulitzer Prize-winning and Tony-nominated play Disgraced, and Grey Gardens, to name just a few. Alden's film works include Just Cause with Sean Connery, Unzipped with Miramax, Stephen Daldry's The Hours, the multi-award-winning feature comedy Kissing Jessica Stein, and the foreign feature film The Zookeeper, starring Sam Neill. He most recently co-produced the feature-length documentary My Beautiful Stutter that tells the story of five young individuals and their extraordinary journey from bullied to bravery. Welcome, Michael. Thanks so much for joining me today on Stop Time. Thank you very much, Lisa. So where, where are you calling in from today, Michael? I'm actually calling from quarantine. I was in Southern California for the month of December. Uh, needed to come back, but <laughs> was very happy in the sun, especially with what's going on. Yeah, no doubt, right? Tell me a little bit about the moment back in March when you realized that Broadway was really shutting down. I'm sure it was surrealistic for everyone at the time because... This is an apocalyptic moment, but coming from the arts, you always liken it to a movie or a play. And so in the moment, you're sort of living in a narrative that it takes you a moment to realize is real. Uh, I was actually co-hosting a hospice for a dear friend who was passing from pancreatic cancer, and he left us on March 11th. And they closed everything on March 12th. And I was in Southern California, assuming after hosting over 80 people, that had come to say goodbye to our friend that I was going to get sick. It just didn't seem logical to me that I could have skirted it given all the crying and the hugging and the food sharing. Yeah. So I hid away for two weeks and it turned out that none of us involved got sick. Wow. that's, That's I think that two weeks later when it really hit and I realized I had to make a decision because I was in some friend, I was in a dear friend's bedroom, you know, in a, in a, in a guest room. And I thought, okay, I have a duffel bag with me because I was going to be there for a week. And now it's three weeks. What should I do? And I thought, well, I'll just wait because I'm sure as soon as, you know, the early summer hits, everything will open up. Anyway, long story short, I ended up in Southern California and I didn't come back until July 4th. (laughs) And again, another shock just for the system because it's a new America being met by the National Guard at your gate and question, it's unsettling, yeah. uh, to say the least. Uh, and of course, realizing that all the work that I had been putting together and been a part of, specifically come from away in the King's Speech, everything stopped. We, yeah. we were five minutes from loading in the King's Speech at Hartford stage. So all of a sudden, the reality of things in boxes and trucks and unions, and yeah. it made it real. Absolutely. 
And you know those, they talk about the image of the dressing rooms where the actors left so suddenly thinking, oh, we'll be back in a week or whatever. Yeah. That's just, wow, there's a story there, right? <laughs> there's a whole movie right there. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Yeah, and, good series. Yeah. What, what grew in my dressing room while I was gone. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Talk about the ghost light. Oh my gosh. So I'm curious to know, like, what, what would you say is the, is the greatest challenge that you face so far during these really uncertain times? It's staying in gratitude. Um, you know, to, to start the morning with a, a conscious remembrance that because I have choices, I'm very fortunate. Mm. You know, I, I, got to multitask young in my life. So I have more than one, you know, focused career. So I can, as we now are saying, it's a, the new word pivot. Um, and that I'm healthy. Uh, and that I actually end up being quote unquote stranded in a sunshine state where I was born. Mm. I lost my best friend a couple of years ago and uh, he had two more grandchildren while I was there. And oh, so wow. I, because I, because I had quarantined, I got to be Grandpa Jason or Uncle Michael, and there was many gifts. So the biggest challenge is to, to, to start the day with gratitude, just to remember that choice creates opportunity and opportunity creates possibility. And that's why we're in the arts. Yeah. So I got to keep doing what I was doing. That's amazing. Well, and you chose to keep doing what you were doing as well, didn't you? Well, yes. Yeah. yeah Shutting down or stopping isn't in my, you know, after the fall, 2008 crushed me. And I, I didn't work for two years after that. And I was not prepared to not work for two years. And at the end of my quarantine in Los Angeles in March, I, re I remember going to the mirror in the bathroom and said, you, you know how to do this. You know how, so just take everybody along with you and you know how to do this. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm so curious to know about like, where do you think that strength comes from? Insecurity. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I still feel it inside me. There is that. I always use the same example, and I'm not sure it makes sense to people that are just listening, but I was given great responsibility at a very young age and con continued to second guess myself well into my 50s. So if you gave me the management position at a restaurant, I would take it, even if I didn't know what I was doing. But when I would lock the door and drive home, I would drive back to make sure I locked the door. Mm-hmm you know, that sort of internal trust. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was a driving factor to me being self-inspired and, and self-aware of what I was doing. It's so interesting. <laughs> no, it actually, it's so fascinating to me because I'm hearing two things. On the one hand, I'm hearing that you're grateful for the fear that has said, just do it anyways, no matter how scared you are of this. You said insecurity, right? And then, and then at the same time, I'm hearing that you will say yes to anything almost, and, and jump on me if, this, if I'm not hearing this correctly, but almost as if you, you want to be up or you are up for any challenge. Like when you referred to the, you know, something you've never done before, like be a manager of a restaurant, that you would say yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I still broken home. Um, you know, all the artist stories, emancipated basically at 17, moved out, was a busboy, was still in high school, uh, and wanted to be an actor. I loved the creative part of it. I did a lot of that in high school. I did not go to university. I did not end up with a posse. 
uh, and I was working to pay my rent. So, you know, wanting more adult things sort of had me put acting aside, not basically on, I didn't choose it. It just sort of started to happen. Mm-hmm. And I, my next year, I was host, I was wholesaling frozen food for a distributor in San Francisco. I had two refrigerators in a Hollywood Hills apartment and I was going around selling like real man quiche to restaurants. <laughs> and uh, my next door neighbor said, your, your inventory skills are very good. I look through your window when I come home from work every day. And I said, thank you. He said, we need an inventory person at where I work. Would you like to, you know, apply for the job? And I said, sure. And it turned out to be a movie studio. <laughs> and it was an inventory position in post-production. And I got asked by the current manager of the department, a bunch of questions. What is a moviola? I said, I don't know. What is a steam deck? I said, I don't know. He said, what is an interpositive? I said, I don't know. And that continued on for about 15 minutes. And he said, you know, I can't hire you to inventory what you don't understand. I said, I, I understand that. And, and, and I appreciate, you know, the time uh, and, and the interview. And he said, well, I always ask the same question at the end of all of my interviews. And at that very moment, two editors were in the threshold of the door behind me screaming at each other. I mean, blood curdling, they were going to kill each other. <laughs> and the question was, if you ever did get a job at the studio, what's the first thing that you would do? And I pointed to the two gentlemen. I said, I would make that stop. And he said, <laughs> okay. And he said okay, you're hired. And a few weeks later, he uh, had to retire. He had a, a minor heart attack and was forced to retire. And my 24-year-old next-door neighbor became my boss. And he sort of, um, at the time, very young, equated management with martinis. Mm-hmm. And he didn't last a real long time. And all of a sudden, two and a half months in, I was the only person on the floor with the quote-unquote management position. So I set about naming everything in the editorial room uh, after something in a salad. And I was very lucky because... Uh, editors didn't talk much and the day they were in dark room. So they would just hold something up and say, get me another one of these. <laughs> and for me, it was a radish until I heard the name of whatever it was. Um, and I ended up moving to three companies with that studio and got to leave the vice president of post-production for MGM and still no idea what I was doing. <laughs> That's amazing. It was an interesting seven years of just saying yes. I mean, eventually I found out what the names of things. And I was also blessed with, super generous people. I mean, I was asked to get a film element. I had no idea what it was. And I called the laboratory in the phone book that was on my desk and I told the guy the truth. Yeah. And I said, you can either help me or I can lose my job. That really demonstrates such a strength, like of fearlessness, really. You know, I need to know this in order to do my job, which is my value. If I can't do my job without it, then I'm going to ask you. And if you fire me because of then that's okay because doing my job well is the most important thing. Correct, correct. I lived, <laughs> I certainly lived through my fears over those seven years on a regular basis. And yep. also when I left, since I'd only had the one job, I really didn't know what I knew. It wasn't until I got to New York yeah. and was working as an independent post-super that I realized, hey, wait a minute, I did learn this. I do know how to do this. Yeah. Plus the, the bigger learning, I feel like, is it really prepped you for what you do as a producer with risk assessment, right? And taking yeah. chances, playing yeah. full out. Yeah. I think that the learning curve for me was at the moment where I realized that I'm never going to not be scared and I'm never going to not ever fail. I just am never going to run away. Yeah. 
So I figured, you know, the first few times that it hurts, as long as I can stand there in it, I, I feel confident that I can get through it. It's not, and it's never, especially in our industry, it's never comfortable. Mm-hmm. Because even though it's a profession, your, your professional success is based on who you are as a person and who you are in your relationships with people. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always a personal judgment, good, bad, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. You know, like an actor auditioning. Their craft is acting, but if they're told no, it's personal. Yeah. Like, especially handling COVID. You know, I, I, after that period of time where I was self-absorbed for all of like nine seconds, I had a lot, I had, I had 40 people on the road going into a theater. You know, I had to call them. Yep. You know, and make it okay. <laughs> yeah. Talk about not running away, huh? So what is your definition of living in the moment? Good question. Well, being, you know, it's, it's consciousness. Mm-hmm. I guess, I, I don't know. I guess if I'm aware of my surroundings, I'm with you right now. I'm not, not thinking of anything else except what's in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's in the moment. And I, I mean, I, I clearly know when I'm not. Mm. I know when I'm not in the moment because I, I, because I stopped being productive. And I don't know. I don't, I'm definitely hyper. I have a lot of forward energy that needs to be used every day. Mm-hmm. And I can't operate. I can't use it in a productive way if I'm not there. Yep. I am really curious to know a couple of things. How much do you trust your gut versus your head in your decision to move forward with a project? I always trust my gut. Yeah? It's how I feel. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like? Well, I can tell you the opposite because, I mean, everybody can relate to this when you're sitting in the doctor's office and you're waiting for results for a test and you don't know how grave it might be. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep. it's the opposite of that. <laughs> I love that. I actually, I actually, a lot of times somebody will be discussing the possibility of a project and I'll actually get a spine tingle. I call it the hallmark moment. <laughs> you know, when they read the card on TV, you start crying. Yep. Yeah, so I get that, I get that feeling, and it is, in, it is in my spine. I can feel the tingle, and I'll go, okay, let's just go do this. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, it doesn't always work, but... No, but that's very much like what you shared with me earlier. It's really the idea that it's not about the thing, so it's not about the success of the thing, but rather about your commitment to doing the thing. And if you play full out, then you've succeeded, so you can't fail. Correct, yeah. Well said. Yes. And, and I do. I mean, I, I, after you go through, because I, I will get down on my hands and eat them off the floor, you know, I, yep. if that's what needs to be done. So that, especially if things are not going incredibly successful, the workload as I yep. get older has, has, has consequences. It hurts. Yep. So recovering from that takes a little bit longer each time. Um, yep. But I don't, not running away is very satisfying. Yep. If you had to assign a name for the value of not running away for you, what would that be? Survival. Interesting. I, I mean, that's, that's been my, that's how I got here. Huh. What if survival was not in the equation? What if you knew that you would survive no matter what? Would it still be just as important well, for you? But it's my motivator for being, everything we talked about, standing still, and not turning away is being in the moment. It's being present. It's being conscious. Uh, it's being obviously responsible to whatever, to whomever, to that group. And that, that's the core of my well-being. 
is knowing that I will do that, mm-hmm. both professionally and personally. Would you say that that's out of compassion for them or out of survival for you? You say the word back to me, it's survival sounds so desperate. It's the nucleus and the answer to your question is, yeah. I learned many, many years ago that if you're not getting more out of what you're doing than what you're giving, if you're not getting more than you're giving, you're doing it wrong. You know, you, you've had like a lifetime of growth and success, right? In, in the industry and yeah. beyond. Talk to me. I mean, I'm not done. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, what done. I, well, that's why I say growth. You started at an early age, I think is what I'm saying. And so it's been really very forward moving from the beginning. And I'm curious, can you talk to me a little bit about your value of perspective and how you apply it? Because, because you have lived and experienced as much as you have, you have a real, a real gift of experience. You know, perspective is just where you're looking from. And I hear that you have a very broad perspective of the future as well. Like when you said immediately, you said, I'm not done. You're like, no, Lisa, I'm, shut up. I'm not done. <laughs> so you do at one point in your life, and it's different for everybody, realize that your memories outweigh your opportunities, but it doesn't lessen the value of those opportunities. You can only do one day at a time. So I could have, you know, hundreds of thousands of hours behind me and maybe not that many ahead of me, but I can only do in that hour what I can do in that hour. So it's just as fulfilling, I think, even though there might be a fear factor. So perspective was learned. It, it was taught to me. My, my best friend, Michael, who will probably forever be my soulmate, his philosophy was, you should never look at a glass as half full or half empty. You must always see it as overflowing. And if you simply change the way you look at something, what you're looking will change. Uh-huh. We spoke every day. He passed away two years ago. We spoke every day. And when I would call him, the first thing that he would say is, tell me something great that happened for you today. Mm-hmm. I woke up in the morning wondering what it was that was going to take me down or get me when I was little. That was how I was parented. You have to be on the lookout. It will come and get you. Mm. Uh, and all the way up, I would say, well into my 30s, you know, I lived in that world of saying, well, this is really good, but, and then I just started getting one lesson after the other about being in the moment, which I can actually answer the question now. And my best friend's greatest gift to me was his willingness to stick with me until I figured out what healthy perspective was. Mm, that's beautiful. There's a quote I came across from a colleague of yours from from Ken Davenport, who's also a Broadway producer, who was talking about the comeback of Broadway. And it it kind of stood out to me. I'm curious to know if you resonate in the same way with what he said. You've probably heard him say it. Um, He said, there's no coincidence that the Roaring Twenties followed the 1918 flu epidemic. I think he's hoping that Broadway is going to come back bigger and better than ever. How, How are you feeling right now? I am not living in any, that's two different things for me. I mean, living in the moment is not anticipating how it's going to be. I'm living in the moment of what they're doing, we're doing or not doing now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hope that Ken and his thought process is right. Um, I don't know collectively in 1919, 1920, arts and music communities did to come back. So will a, an audience member take a chance on getting COVID to see Hugh Jackman or... Lynn manuel you know, Miranda returning to Hamilton at 30% capacity for $200? Maybe. Yes. Will that same person come to my theater to see a new play that talks about civil rights? Probably not. Mm. I don't know who's at that table with Ken. How, 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 do, how do I get there? 
Mm. Who, who are those people that are going to create that platform for me to do the Charleston? <laughs> Fair enough, right? Fair enough. What do you know will be true about you no matter what happens? My insecurity. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we can, we can get rid of that, man. Maybe you're clinging to your insecurity. Maybe, maybe is there a fear that if you didn't have it, that you it, wouldn't? It, it, got, it, it, got, it got me here. Yeah. Exactly. Look, I had some issues this morning. And I'm really in touch with it, and it's okay. And you, you actually, in our conversations, actually said something that made me say something that got me out of it. I got a couple of buttons pushed this morning, and I was like working my way through it, which means, you know, at 16 or 17, we would have canceled this, you know, podcast, maybe even at 20. Mm. And now I know it's the truest thing about me is I just didn't continue to show up. Yeah. So I said I was going to be here at two o'clock and I may not have the emotional like solidness that I would have liked to have had in the moment, but you know, you just keep going, keep going. I say something every morning to myself as a, as an affirmation, mm. I am solid on my own two feet mm. and that's the consistent for me. I love that. Yeah. Good for you. Important to me because for myself, but also because you know, you're, you're, you're counting on me. That helps because babies count on me. My, my mm. investors count on me. Mm-hmm. So that that's my inspiration, you know. But it's also it's also my salvation, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, because I because I can notice it. I'm like, look, you know, and maybe I'm inspired to do it for you for at first, but I do get something out of it. Yeah, fair enough. That makes perfect sense. That's beautiful, though. It's it's, it's it, you have a real um, growing awareness around it, which is really exciting. I think. Yeah, I was very fortunate. My great aunt uh, just passed away in May, was 101. Mm-hmm. And she never got old, ever. Yeah. And it was amazing to sit with her and have her get upset about a varicose vein. <laughs> you know, she went to the theater twice a week. She played poker, bridge. She had a play club, a book club. I mean, this is, this is a woman like... I said, how did your second cortisone shot go for your knee? She's 100 years old at the time. Wow. She goes, I canceled. She said, I had to cancel the appointment. So why'd you cancel the appointment? She said, my book report on Eleanor Roosevelt was due. <laughs> and I hadn't finished it yet. And I thought, okay, keep, t- I miss her terribly because I would call her. I mean, she's 40 years older than me. And I'm like, God bless. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. You got some incredible genes there. No, she married into the family. Not so <laughs> lucky. But basically, you just have to get up every morning, stand solid on your two feet, and start moving forward. Yep. Hell yeah. That's awesome. How do you want to be remembered? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? So what, what did you say? Sorry, I missed it. I said yes. You said yes. So, so when I say, how do you want to be remembered? You say yes? Yes, I want to be remembered. Um, <laughs> I, the, the, first, the first thing that came to my mind is in a way that makes you smile. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, in a, way, in a way that makes you smile. Sorry, I was just looking at you. This is why I love to have the video on, because that was really beautiful. No, I was thinking about my best friend, too, and I'm thinking, I remember him for so many things. Mm. You know, but, but in his it always makes me smile. Like when I'm on my shit, this is only in the last two months. He really hasn't, I haven't felt him close to me until in the last two months, but something will fall off a shelf. Mm. I mean, a lot, there's no talking. I can't hear any voices. I don't, 
but I can feel the energy and it's yep. really strong and something will just fall off the shelf. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm getting off my stuff. Thank you. And it makes wow. me happy. Wow. That's amazing. That's lucky. You're lucky to have that. I'm very fortunate. I'm a lucky guy. Yeah. I'm a lucky guy. Again, that, that intuition that you referred to before of trusting your gut in your projects, to, you know, trusting your gut, you know, allows you access to that energy, doesn't it? Like you're, you're able to receive it. Yeah. Yeah. No, then I, I feel, I really do. I feel the power of angels on my shoulder. Just before we finish, I'm going to ask you a few things. I could talk to you all day. This has been really a pleasure. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I, I've got a 3.30 financial call to talk about losing money. So. Oh, fun. Well, just before that, I'll put you in a good headspace here. What are the top three things that happened so far today? I woke up solid on my two feet. I cleaned out three kitchen cabinets. Mm-hmm. And it just felt really great because I'm preparing to sublet and I just wanted to take some action. Uh, and clearly this conversation, because I came to some realizations of stuff I was looking for this morning that just got realized. So I got, I got gifted, see? I contributed to your podcast and I got gifted back. So I've now gotten more out of it than I gave. Ah, reciprocity and synchronicity. Brilliant. So... I always ask my guests, I'm just going to say what makes you, and then I'm going to say a word, and you just say what comes to your mind, okay? okay. You ready? Yeah. What makes you hungry? Well, walking. <laughs> Sad. Allowing myself to feel judged. Mad. Inappropriateness, like firemen not wearing their masks. Mm. Frustrated. Just not being able to complete a task the time frame, you know, that I'm, I can't get from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. Motivated. Insecurity. <laughs> um, inspired. Babies. And finally, what makes you grateful? My friends. Mm. Michael, I am so truly grateful for you and for the opportunity to spend this time together with you and learn more about you. Thank you so much. For Thank you, Lisa. And I, I look forward to doing, you know, some time with you uh, with your new work. <laughs> I said you can pull some more energy out of me, please. Oh, no problem. No problem. I've been speaking today with Michael Alden. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. And remember to live in the moment. In music, stop time is that beautiful moment where the band is suspended in rhythmic unison, supporting the soloist to express their individuality. In the moment, I encourage you to take that time and create your own rhythm. Until next time, I'm Lisa Hopkins. Thanks for listening.